This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Thursday, August 27th, 2020. On this day in 1660, King Charles II commanded English poet John Milton's books burned in the city of London. These events inspired the outspoken and controversial Milton to complete his epic poem, Paradise Lost. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering John Milton's book burning and the events that caused it. After a brutal civil war that led to the beheading of his father, Charles II returned to the city of London to reclaim the throne. But he was back with a vendetta. And John Milton, a committed Republican with a knack for spreading anti-royalist propaganda, was at the top of his list. Let's go back to August 27th, 1660. For weeks, Milton's books had been seized by the king's men. All around the city, raiding parties scoured bookshelves, snatching anything with Milton's name. Now, on the night of the 27th, the spoils had been dumped in a pile in front of the old Bailey courthouse. They were to be burned. But the fire wasn't just about Milton and his alleged offenses towards Charles II. The flames had been sparked nearly 20 years before, in 1642. That year, the Civil War broke out in England. King Charles I claimed it was his divine right to rule. But Parliament was inspired by ideas of democracy. Before the turn of the decade, Puritan leader Oliver Cromwell led Parliament in overthrowing the monarchy. Charles I was captured, placed on trial, and found guilty for trying to uphold in himself an unlimited and tyrannical power to rule according to his will and to overthrow the rights and liberties of the people. So he was beheaded. Meanwhile, his son, Charles II, fled to France for refuge. It was during this time that 41-year-old John Milton gained a reputation throughout England. He publicly advocated for regicide, or the killing of kings. And he opposed the illegal bond between the church and the crown. So in his pamphlet called The Tenure of Kings and Magistrates, Milton attacked church ritual, governance, and tried to oust false idols which the church created in the king's image. Essentially, he believed the crown had tainted the sanctity of religion. Milton was outspoken about other taboo subjects, too. His 17-year-old wife, Mary, had left him only a few months after their wedding, and Milton hadn't seen her in years. So Milton penned the Doctrine and Discipline of Divorce, which advocated for the legalization of separation. He also openly detested public censorship. 
Milton's controversial propaganda gained the recognition of Oliver Cromwell, a leader in Parliament. And two months after the king's execution, Milton was appointed as Secretary of Foreign Tongues. His job was to dictate letters to foreign nations, act as a translator and an intellectual hand. Which was remarkable, considering John Milton was soon to be permanently blind after what was most likely chronic glaucoma. Unfortunately, Milton's position, along with the English Republic, was short-lived. After Cromwell died in 1658, the government collapsed. Royalists regained their momentum, took back power, and asked Charles II to return to the throne. So in May of 1660, Charles II rode back into London triumphantly. As part of his restoration agreement, Charles II demanded a standing army and permission to kill any officials responsible for his father's execution. And John Milton was one of those people. Before Charles II even issued the execution list with Milton's name, the poet went into hiding. To this day, it's a mystery where Milton spent the next several months or who helped hide him. But in June of that year, Charles II called for Milton's arrest. He also threatened anyone who might be harboring the fugitive. Charles II vilified Milton publicly, turning the people against him. He even suggested that Milton had been struck blind by God in an act of divine retribution. Over the next few months, Milton's books started to disappear from public libraries. In August of 1660, Charles II issued a proclamation declaring all books by John Milton be handed over to authorities. Those who were once loyal to the Commonwealth handed in their copies of Milton's work, succumbing to the reality that the Republic was dead. Royalists raided bookstores and stationers' shops where books were bound and published. They took anything with Milton's name on it, primarily Milton's Treatise of Civil Power, which had been recently issued for publication. Royalists invaded the homes of Republicans who may have been hiding copies. Then, on the evening of August 27, 1660, Milton's books were brought to the Old Bailey Courthouse in London. There, they were burned in a massive fire pit by the local hangman. Milton remained hidden in the shadows of London as his life's work went up in smoke. But the events of this day had already been prophesied by Milton in his work Areopagitica when he wrote, As good almost kill a man as kill a good book. Coming up, John Milton's arrest and his authorship of Paradise Lost. Hi, listeners. Here's a series I think you're really going to like. We all know that medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? In the new podcast series, Medical Murders, you'll discover a disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives 
but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On August 27, 1660, John Milton's books were burned in front of the Old Bailey Courthouse in London. Royalists watched as the parchment crinkled and turned to ash. John Milton stayed in hiding, well aware that King Charles II had him on a short list of traitors. If Milton was found, he'd be executed. But two days later, the king passed an act of free and general pardon. This excused anyone from the death penalty who committed crimes against the monarchy during the Civil War, with the exception of murder, piracy, rape, or witchcraft, which was good news for John Milton, who was merely guilty of spreading propaganda. So Milton came out of hiding shortly after, but that didn't stop Charles II from finding and arresting him. That fall, Milton was sent to the Tower of London where he spent his 52nd birthday in prison. Luckily, his incarceration was short. He was released in December of 1660. But the experience inspired Milton to complete unfinished works. Milton spent his days tiptoeing around the monarchy, fearful that any wrongdoing could lead to another arrest. But Milton knew that King Charles II would regress England back to its former state, meaning the monarchy and the church would reunite as one indistinguishable unit. Because of that, he struggled with his commitment to God, but he also knew his God would want him to rebel against tyrants. So Milton penned his metaphorical version of the story of creation in an epic poem titled Paradise Lost. The 10,000-line poem begins with the journey of Satan, referred to as the traitor angel, who's been sent to the underworld after rebelling against his divine creator. So the traitor angel plots his revenge by tempting man with sinful desires. 19th century poets like Percy Shelley saw Milton's version of Satan as a kindred spirit, the true protagonist of the story who Milton clearly wrote in his own image. 
While the poem is a metaphor for standing up for your beliefs, rebelling against evil, and the satisfaction of redemption, it's also about love. In Milton's interpretation of the tale, Eve gives in to her temptations just to be with Adam, and together they fall from grace. It's said that Milton would wake in the middle of the night with full passages in his mind, which likely kept him up until morning, until his scribe arrived to help the blind author pen his feverish dreams. Paradise Lost was completed and published throughout London by 1667. Milton, who'd become a political and social pariah, was resurrected with the publication of this poem. The story was well-received amongst royalists and Puritans alike. In October of that year, royalist Sir John Denham, poet and surveyor of the King's works, marched into the House of Commons. In his hand was a copy of Paradise Lost. When members of Parliament asked what Denham was reading, he responded, the noblest poem that ever was wrote in any language or in any age. In the centuries to come, authors praised Milton for reinventing poetry and removing what he called the troublesome and modern bondage of rhyming. Today, Milton continues to inspire some of our greatest works of fiction, including Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. Pullman says, no one, not even Shakespeare, surpasses Milton in his command of the sound, the music, the weight and taste and texture of English words. Pullman, like many other admirers of Milton's, says he's attracted to the poet's audacity and complexities. Ironically, it's those same audacities which nearly killed the author 360 years ago. Yet without them, history might be void of some of its most iconic pieces of literature. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Killer nurses, deranged doctors, mad scientists. Don't forget to check out the new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.